What does it take to make you happy? We think about happiness a lot, especially when we're not happy. Happiness can be elusive. Even the Declaration of Independence only promises us that we can pursue happiness. It doesn't promise us that we'll actually get it. Happiness can also be fleeting. When the party's over, when your kids go home, when the vacation's done, when the season's over, sometimes so is the happiness. And sometimes our pursuit of happiness shows that we don't really know what we're looking for or how to find it. I'll be happy when I get my dream job. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy when I make it to brunch. Here's the secret. No, you won't. Those things probably won't make you happy. Oh, they might for a little bit, just briefly, but not for long. And then there's the messages we get. If you buy this car, if you join this gym, if you go on this diet, you'll be happy. So you do those things and it makes you happy for a little while. But then before January is over, you quit going to the gym and before the new car smell fades, you're bored with the car and you're still looking for something to make you happy. We're constantly chasing something that will make us happy and we aren't finding it. So there must be something deeper because we've got this longing inside of us for what we call happiness and we don't seem to be able to fill that void. So what is it that we're looking for and not always finding? In the passage we look at this morning, one of the key words is happy. But here's the thing, when it says happy, it doesn't mean this transitory pleasant feeling. It doesn't mean that when the stars align all in the right way. Because back in the day when the Bible was written, the word was associated with the idea of having a deep sense of contentment. It meant being having this deep sense of well-being and feeling like you were leading a good life. That's the idea behind the type of happiness that fulfills us. And that gets us to Jesus. And so we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus has to say about happiness and contentment and fulfillment. And we're going to do it out of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5 today. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we're talking about following the Jesus way. And for the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're starting today with the Beatitudes. A Beatitude comes from the Greek word, which means blessed. So blessed are these people, beatified are these people. And maybe you're thinking, you said the word happy was in there. I didn't hear you say the word happy once. Well, the word that's translated as blessed can be translated as happy just as easily. And so you can read it as happier the people who have this thing or happier the people. So the Beatitudes are nine things that describe blessed or happy people. 
And it would be great to infer that if you do these nine things, you'll be happy. Here's nine steps to happiness. That would be great, only it's wrong. There's this fundamental misunderstanding about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is not a list of what you're supposed to be like. And honestly, when you read the Beatitudes, it's not a list that most of us want to be like. Poor, persecuted, grief-stricken, hungry, that doesn't sound like the fast track to successful living or happiness. And it certainly doesn't feel like you're being blessed or something to rejoice about. But if we think it's something that we're supposed to do, then we've got to look at it as maybe some sort of hyperbole or think it's unrealistic or irrelevant to our lives. Or maybe we even feel guilty that we aren't like that and feel more guilty because we don't want to be like those things. But the Beatitudes aren't teachings about how to be blessed or how to be happy. No one's actually being told that they'll be better off for being poor or for mourning or that they should seek to be persecuted. So what's going on in the Beatitudes then? Well, the Beatitudes is actually a restating of the gospel. It's telling about the gospel in a different sort of way. So what's the gospel? Well, in a nutshell, the gospel is that God sees our broken condition and knows that we can't fix ourselves. So God steps into our lives and through Jesus does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Jesus brings people who once were far away from him and brings them close. He gives hope to the hopeless. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So the Beatitudes are a list of people who are living in circumstances that seem beyond hope. It's a list of people living in circumstances that need help. They're helpless beyond hope until the kingdom of God comes to them. So previous to this in chapter four, Jesus has been doing all sorts of miracles and he's been caring for people's needs and now he wants to teach them about what the kingdom of God is like now that they've had a taste of it. So there's this group of people that have been following him around, some because he does stuff for them, some because they found something in Jesus that they've never found anywhere else. And so I picture Jesus just kind of looking out over the crowd and he recognizes certain people, like there's Peter and Andrew. They're fishermen. They're not on the fast track. They don't have an education. And at least by biblical reports, they're not even great fishermen. And Jesus sees them standing there and he's like, hey guys, you're included. And then he looks over here, there's Miriam. Hey Miriam, do you remember how you had leprosy and you were shunned by everyone? Remember how you couldn't come close to anyone and all you wanted was just to feel some human touch you? Remember that? Look around. You're surrounded by people. They can't help but touch you. You're included. Alexander, wow, you had one of the worst cases of demon possession I've ever seen. It's so good to see you in your right mind and not looking tortured from within. Welcome. You belong here. Sarah, right down front. You couldn't leave your house because you had so many seizures and you were embarrassed because whenever you had a seizure, you lost all control. And here you are, out of your house for the first time in years. Sun feels good, doesn't it? Welcome. And it goes on and on and on. And those are just the categories that Matthew mentions in chapter 4. So Jesus has touched these people and now he teaches them about the kingdom of God 
and he uses them as examples. I mean, here are all these people whose lives have been changed because they met Jesus. They're a perfect illustration. To whom does the good news of the gospel come to? The people who don't expect it. The people who don't deserve it. The people who've lost hope. This is a passage all about the change that comes when the kingdom of God comes into someone's life. And so looking at all those people, Jesus looks out and he says, Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived, the deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion when the kingdom of heaven comes to them. That's actually Dallas Willard's language, and I think it comes closer to the intent. So let's now go back and let's unpack some of this and look at what Jesus' real intent is here in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, poor in spirit sounds like humility. It sounds like a positive thing. Blessed are the people who don't brag. But that's not exactly what it means. Poor in spirit no longer conveys what it meant for Jesus, which was kind of a spiritual destitution, to be a spiritual zero. And Jesus doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit because they're poor in spirit. They're, they're blessed in spite of their condition because the kingdom of heaven comes to them by the grace of Jesus. And that's important because even if we understand what poor in spirit means, it's easier for us to read it as all we need to be blessed or happy in the kingdom is to recognize our spiritual poverty and then we'll be happy. But that neuters what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God, the love of Jesus, comes to us as pure grace. Paul writes in Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. And poor in spirit can also be broadened out a little bit, but it helps to illustrate this too. Because people who are really poor, real poverty in the way we look at things, almost automatically is taken as a sign of failure in every respect. So the first beatitude goes to the people who've been written off because they're failures. Instead, Jesus looks out and goes, guess what? You're included. God hasn't written you off. And neither have God's people, right? I mean, this is a list of what the kingdom looks like, right? And then Jesus goes on, Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Luke refers to them as the weeping ones. It refers to a depth of loss, something crushing, the deserted, the rejected, the grief-stricken, the depressed, the people who've been let go because they're too old, the ones who've been told, it's not you, it's me, way too many times. Those that realize that their lifelong dreams will never happen. People living with PTSD. People who are mourning. Is there a way forward? Is there something beyond the devastation? Yeah. The kingdom of God comes to the weeping and the rejected and the broken. Picking up from Jeremiah, where God says, I'll turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And then that's also the point of entry for us, too. I mean, it's sitting Shiva with someone who's suffered a loss. It's reaching out. It's not forgetting when the acute becomes chronic. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We look down on the meek. 
We look down on the timid, the shy, the introverts. Nobody ever says to their kid, I hope you grow up to be a carpet and everyone walks over you all of the time. Sometimes the meek get there because they're told they didn't matter. They're told they weren't worth anything and they begin to believe it. The meek will never complain when they get overlooked or when someone else cuts in front of them in line. They won't stand up for themselves. They don't seem to matter. And lots of times, people don't even see them. And Jesus says, yeah, you people who society says don't matter, you inherit the earth. Well, not quite. Because the word actually means the land. You inherit the promised land. In other words, you get in. You matter because I say you matter. I created you to matter. You have worth. Follow Jesus and the people who don't matter, all of, us, all of a sudden discover that they matter a lot. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The dude's doing the best he can. He's working hard. He's a responsible person. He's providing for his family. Not everyone fits neatly into a stereotype or into a category that we have for people. He works long hours at a hard job, and then he gets sick. If I get sick, I go to the doctor. I get meds, I buy NyQuil. I get better relatively quickly. He doesn't have health insurance, and they live on a shoestring. So the doctor is a luxury. So he doesn't get well quickly. And if he's sick, he can't work. And if he doesn't work, he doesn't get paid. No unlimited PTO or earned time off. You don't work, you don't get paid. That's his reality. So there's no money coming in. And because they didn't have first last month and a security deposit, they don't have a conventional rent agreement. They don't pay, they get kicked out. So they get an eviction notice and they have nowhere to go. This is a true story. I dealt with it last week. That dude, hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Righteousness doesn't mean good behavior. Righteousness means for things to be made right. He's not looking for a handout. He's just looking for a break and a chance to get ahead. Guess what? In the kingdom of God, everything is made right. There's hope even when there seems to be no hope. So in the kingdom of God, what happens? Well, when the followers of Jesus find out what's going on, they step in and they help give somebody a break. They bring righteousness with them. They make things right wherever they go. We're in a new election cycle. I can't believe it. And man, I feel like I am starved for righteousness. I am hanging on to this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This might be the most countercultural one. Show mercy? Mercy is weakness. If you show mercy, you'll be taken advantage of. We don't show mercy. We take no prisoners. We don't want to show that someone is wrong. We want to annihilate them. You show mercy to someone, and all of your well-meaning friends will tell you that that was the wrong thing to do. But you know, there's this line in the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us as we forgive others. 
And Jesus tells this great parable about a person who was forgiven an enormous debt and wouldn't show mercy to someone who owed them five bucks. Blessed are the merciful, because they'll be shown mercy. It doesn't feel like a win sometimes when you show mercy, but that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Those of you who show mercy because you've been shown mercy, you're blessed. And man, I gotta tell you what, it is so much easier to sleep if you practice mercy instead of revenge. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. These are the people who do right. These are the people who have good motives. They care, they love, their hearts are good, and they don't often see a lot of rewards. When I think of somebody who's pure in heart, I think of one of my friends, Danny Martinez. When I first met Danny, he had taken his family from a suburban situation and moved into downtown Los Angeles because they were working for a church in a community organization and he wanted to incarnate the presence of Jesus in downtown LA. And so I went and I met with him and he showed me the bullet holes that were in the front of the house. He told me the stories about how sometimes his kids had to lie on the floor. I thought he was crazy, but what he really was, was pure in heart. The promise is that the pure in heart will see God. Truth be told, Danny saw God. He saw God a lot. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Peace, peacemakers are not people who keep the peace. Sometimes that's just people who live in denial. Peacemakers force the issue. Peacemakers have the hard discussions with the goal of making peace. Some people have the hard discussions because they're bulls in a china shop and just want to confront people. That's very different. People don't always like peacemakers because peacemakers are in the middle. Y'all who are out there trying to bring peace, who are frustrated, who are caught in the middle and wonder if it even matters, it does, it does. You're close to the heart of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the people who refuse to go along with what's wrong. I've been thinking the last couple of days, okay, the last couple of years, about how much character matters. We can't say character doesn't matter. Some things are right and some things are wrong. And I don't think you can just shrug your shoulders and say it doesn't matter or that a person's character doesn't matter. Now, I'll say this again, I don't care what your politics are. Really, as long as your political opinions are biblically informed, it doesn't matter to me. I've got conservative friends and I've got progressive friends and praise the Lord, I've got tons of friends who are right in the middle. All I care about is that you're looking for people who have character. You're looking for people who do righteousness and justice. I've seen things that I never thought I'd see I've seen a group that's going, good people, that's going one way, and somebody stands up and says, this is wrong. We shouldn't be following this. We shouldn't be headed this way. This is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I've seen those people get beaten down over and over again by Christians who are doing group think. So stand for what you believe the Bible says is right. Stand for what the kingdom of God looks like. Stand for what God looks like. Stand for loving God and loving your neighbor 
whatever the cost. Don't give up. It might be costly, but the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's probably 2011, and I was on a high school missions trip, and we went to San Francisco. And we served in the tenderloin. We were out helping homeless people, just trying to love and care for people. And one day we had an afternoon off and some of us went to a park. It wasn't Golden Gate Park. I don't remember what park it was. And there was one person who was experiencing homelessness and she was out in the middle of the lawn. She was about as far away from anybody as you possibly could get. And she was just sitting there minding her own business. She had her shopping cart, she had a bunch of other things, and she was just there. And all of a sudden, the sprinklers came on. And this woman started to panic because everything she owned was gonna get soaked. And so I said to the person who is with me, a, a girl, a high school senior, go help her. And so she runs out to try and help. And this woman turns and just screams obscenities and profanities and warns her to get away from her stuff. And it was, it was an amazing moment. And the girl came back to me just disheveled and torn and distraught. She'd done what she thought was the right thing. And she got yelled at and her motivated, her motives were impugned by this woman. Now, she was okay. It actually was a good experience for her because she saw something that she had never seen before. Not somebody get mad, but somebody who was so afraid because life had only taught her that she had to hold on to her things and she couldn't trust anyone. Blessed was that young girl because she tried to help in Jesus' name. But you know what? I also think of that woman, and I think I could come up with another beatitude. Blessed are you, because in the kingdom of God, your stuff doesn't get stolen anymore. Now, it's easy to dismiss the beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount as unattainable or hyperbole or unrealistic, but the Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount confront us with the difference between our normal assumptions about people and their circumstances, and what happens when Jesus changes people's hearts and the kingdom of God comes to them. The Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, the whole Jesus way is radical because Jesus brings out a radical change in the lives of people who experience his grace and then respond in obedience and trust. Who, if they turn to Jesus, is unblessable? No one. You might feel on the outside of God's grace that you're unblessable. If you turn to Jesus, no one is unblessable. So to live a significant life, to live a life that's grounded and fulfilling, to have a life that will give you a deep sense of contentment, it's to be caught up in what God is doing in the world and to see things the way God does. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, what will it take to make you happy? Number two, which beatitude do you most identify with? Number three, who in your heart of hearts do you believe is unblessable?
Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.